Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Little Green Pasture. Hope everybody's doing good today. I'm so good. So glad to be back. And it's so good to be here. <laughs> so I truly do hope everybody's doing well. And I do have a message to share with you today. It's something I gleaned from God's word today. You know, I've been praying like normally I do to be here with you. Because it means so much to me to hear from the Lord and receive from him. Otherwise, what do I have to give? But if I'm going to give anything away, I want something fresh. I want fresh manna. So I go out early in the morning and I wait on the Lord. So before I get started, I just want to pray. And I want to invite the presence of the Lord in to, you, to where you are into this message and commit all into his hands for his name's sake. Father in heaven, I just come to glorify you and to glorify your son, Jesus Christ. And I know that there are many right now that are bowing their heads with me right now. There are so many right now, Lord Jesus, that need a touch from you. There's so many people right now, Lord, that are watching, not because they want to hear from me, because really, Lord Jesus, I am nothing. I really am nothing. And I know I'm nothing and less than nothing. But Lord, anybody that tunes into this is because they're seeking for you. They want to hear from you. They want your living water. They want to partake of the Lamb of God, a lamb for every household. And so, Jesus, I just lay myself down at your feet as your vessel, and I ask you to move out in front of me, and I will remove myself from the front and retreat to the back, and I will follow you in this message. I, I'm on. I am imper I'm an imperfect vessel, but Jesus, you always perfect that which concerns us. And so I ask that your presence and the move of your Holy Spirit be upon this message and that Lord, they will know that they met with you today and not me. Lord, I pray, let this message be blessed for your name's sake, for your glory's sake, for your truth's sake, for what endures forever, the love of God and the promises that are to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right in with two feet. This morning I was in devotions and I was in the book of Ezekiel chapter 7. And just as a side note, as I read that entire chapter, I thought, I feel like this this whole chapter, I know he's speaking to Israel. But I said to myself, this sounds like he's speaking to us, like it's modern day. But I say to myself, yes, he is speaking to Israel. But at the same time, man never changes. God never changes. The devil never changes. And in a sense, we could look at this word and we say, this is like, you know, maybe you're in Australia, maybe you're in the UK, maybe you're in a Middle Eastern country, maybe you're in this nation, wherever you are in this world. I believe that in the nation that you're in, as well as the nation I'm in, this can speak to you as well as to me. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, and I will encourage you to read it. But this is what struck me because I was asking the Lord for the last few days, like, Lord, show me, show me what it is that you want me to teach your people. Lord, I'm not going to play Bible roulette. I take what I'm doing seriously. I'm not going to get used to just teaching. I'm not just going to take for granted. I'm not going to take worm-eaten manna from yesterday and dole it out when your people deserve something fresh like cold waters to a thirsty soul from a far country. I would ask for nothing less for Jesus, from Jesus, for myself. So bear with me this imperfect vessel because I'm just going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And really it's him that will speak through you. And whatever is of me, it's just of me. But maybe in the words that are being spoken, you'll hear the voice of that great shepherd of the sheep and that his Holy Spirit would bear witness to something that maybe you've been needing to hear for a long time. So here it goes. So it says here, 
chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Also, thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, unto the land of Israel, an end. The end is come upon the four corners of the land. Now is the end come upon thee. And I will send mine anger upon thee and will judge thee according to thy ways and will recompense upon thee all thine abominations. And mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity. But I will recompense thy ways upon thee and thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, an evil and only evil Behold is come, the end is come, the end is come, it watcheth for thee, behold, it is come. And you know, though I read through the whole chapter, my eye just kept going back, it just kept going back to that, and I kept seeing, I counted one, it's like five times he said the end is come, one, two, three, four, five Five times he says, the end has come. And he talks about a nation that just threw away all the promises of God in exchange for idolatry, in exchange for uh, the passing riches of this world and and things that, that their soul lusted after. And they just over and over and over just rejected God altogether. And even at the end of this chapter, you know, he was saying, I'm not even going to listen anymore to what they say. But the point I want to say is the end. And I was thinking about the end. And, you know, we are definitely living in the end times. And I believe at the very final last ticking seconds of the day of grace and the coming of our Lord for us. And, you know, we're all we all know this. We are the generation that clearly knows it's the end. Even ungodly people who want nothing to do with God say things. This is like the end of the world. And as I was seeing the end, I started to think about our end and that there's the there's been end of civilizations. There was the end of the Garden of Eden and then it started a new administration of time. And then there was the you know days of Moses and all these kingdoms and all these kings and all these individuals, even people we will never know who existed have lived and died. There was a beginning and there was an end. And so let me go over here because when I was done with that, I was reading about the woman with the alabaster box when Jesus was in the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. A woman came in with an alabaster box and she broke it open and she poured that precious ointment upon the head of Jesus and his disciples were murmured among themselves and they had indignation and they said, to what purpose is this waste? And when Jesus understood, they said, for this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, he said to them, why trouble ye the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you. Notice how he dis he says, she's with me, but you're with them. It's like he delineates something that's happening right there. Something is being something is happening, a revelation of who Jesus is. And he says, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor always with you. But me, you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. And, you know, he made it clear. He said, she did this for my burial. And I thought about Jesus's end. And he knew his end was coming. And before that, you know, I want to hop over to that Mount of Transfiguration moment where he revealed his glory, where he was, you know, transfigured while he was praying. His face was like it became 
like a flash of light and it doesn't say flash of light, but it said his garments were transfigured. They were white and blistering, meaning just bright and glowing as well as his face. And while he was praying um, at, during that moment of time, uh, Peter, James and John saw Elijah and Moses speaking to him about his decease. And so I thought about this process up to Jesus going to the cross and that Elijah and Moses were discussing his decease. I mean, what were they talking to Jesus about his end? They were talking to Jesus about his end. Now, I don't, we have no idea what was said, and I'm not going to put words where they're not supposed to be. But in just a, me looking at it in a harmless way, I say to myself, and I don't teach it to be something to be taught, but I'm just saying in my own heart, my own thoughts, and my own mind, and I leave it there, that Jesus knew he was going to have to suffer. He knew what was going on and whatever they were telling him. And the moment came where they quietly, it ended. They, they went back into heaven and Jesus stood alone. It said he stood alone. And, you know, then, of course, after that, again, he's in the home of Simon, the leper in Bethany, and this situation happens. And he knows that end is coming. And it says in John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And, you know, it's obvious that there's going to be an end of the world. We do read. We know. We understand. We're the generation that gets it. We know there is a new heaven and a new earth. It says in First Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3.13, it says, For we, according to his promise, do look for a kingdom um, of righteousness as, that he promised. And... So we get it. We know. I mean, I think there's been just this. I mean, obviously, we're in the end. And so the revelation of all kinds of prophecies are exploding all around us. And we're seeing what our forefathers could never see. Like when Jesus says, blessed are your eyes. For you see what the prophets and the men of old wish to see. He said, more blessed are you because you see. You know, and so now we're, we're given sight to know just where we are, not knowing the day or the hour, but we know exactly the time and seasons that we're in. But let me take it a little bit further, because, see, as I was saying earlier, yes, there's an end of civilizations and antiquity and kings and all kinds of people. And we're here today. And, you know, many people, they don't believe in a rapture. Some believe in the rapture. Some believe in this. Some believe in that. I'm not here to debate, argue, or even discuss that. But I bring that up to say, you have an end too, just like I do. And if the Lord tarry, and I shall go all the way of the Lord, I go home to be with the Lord, or you go home to be with the Lord, you... This is the end that I'm talking about. And I really want to talk about it because I think, and I, and I don't just say this to you. I'm telling you, when I give you messages, I'm, I'm taking it in for myself. I'm on, I'm at the judgment bar of God in that moment. I may be the one sharing things with you, but never in a moment do I ever think that I'm on some big pedestal where I'm looking down and saying, thus saith the Lord, the ground is all level at the cross. And I want to be one of the lowly people because it says the rich he hath uh, sent empty away, but the lowly he has lifted up. You know, he, he's given us riches. And this world has a way of just taking just taking up every second of our life. And I get it. Like I know that in this life we'll have tribulation and that tribulation, I can underscore that with so many things that we have to get done in a day. So many things we have to make sure happen in a year, in a week, in a month. Um, we have everything coming at us on every side. So it's not like we're walking around every second saying, um, well, one day I'm going to die, but I will say this. 
the older I get and the closer I get to heaven, you better believe the more I'm thinking about it. And the more I spend time in the word, the more the word spends time in me. The more I drink in the word, the more the word comes out of me. The more I'm able in his light, I see light. And today I was thinking about the end. And I was thinking about even how, you know, about the end of things, you know, um, there's, you know, I was thinking about the end, you know, it says where Jesus, where it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, um, thoughts for good and to a uh, peace and to give you an expected end and the end of the righteous is blessed. And, and we can, I can think of all these scriptures where it talks about, about the end. You know, I mean, we have so many, just, just to put some out here. It says, mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace or teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes and I shall keep it unto the end. Um, but it talks about transgressors also, but the transgressors shall be destro destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. And I'll say one more Proverbs. And that was Mark 37, 38. And the one before that was Mark 37, 37. And so Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And, you know, when, when we read the word, we're not just reading about, um, you know, there's so many people who are get they're, they're too lopsided. Um, they're, they never look at what the enemy's doing. They're like, I don't want to listen to about the enemy. It's just too negative. And so they're way over here saying, I only want to hear about the Lord, or I don't want to, I want nothing to do with prophecy. I only want this. I only want that. But you know, you, God gave us this huge, this huge book to read. And it's the meat of the saint. The more you fill up with this, the greater that light will be in you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto your path, a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. So let me keep going. I was thinking about also yesterday about how many people, because again, I've said this before, you know, there's people, they get up, I watch the news. Oh, two people were killed on such and such freeway last night. Uh, a person was, uh, had a home invasion robbery and they were killed. And story after story of people. And I felt a solemnness today, a real solemnness to say, what is your end? Because your end may be today. Your end may be tomorrow. And just like that woman, she knew by the spirit of God, maybe not even realizing it, that she was anointing Christ for his burial. He knew what was happening. But many of us, we get up, we get dressed, we go, we do what we do. Just like all those people who woke up this morning today. I got to get up. I got to shower. I got to do this. I got to do that. And pow, they're in eternity from the freeway or they suffer a heart attack. Something happened and that day came. You know, I think about that word that says um, that there is like, what is it? Um, that what shall a profit, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? You see, because this body is just for this world, but the soul that's in you is eternal. You see, there's everlasting life, no matter which way anybody wants to look at it or accept it. There's people that believe in annihilation. They just believe when you die, you just are out of existence and you're done. And there's all these different beliefs. But Jesus Christ made it very clear that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And God wants, I think God wants, I think he was just in me first. I'll say me first. That he was so shining a light on, are you ready? Not that you're going around thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I die today? That's not the way to live. That's not the life of Christ in you. 
there's some people that they accumulate so much in this life and everything, the more you, you notice, the more you own, the more it owns you. That's why godliness with contentment is great gain for it is certain you have brought nothing into this world and you're and for you have brought nothing into this world and it is certain you are carrying nothing out. Although I do love what David says, it says thine heart shall live forever. And you know where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. But you know, I kept thinking today about those scriptures about mark the perfect man and behold the upright. I believe that's um, Proverbs 14, 21. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. But if you reverse that word and you say mark the wicked man, though that's not written, but if you would reverse it, mark the wicked man and behold the evil for the end of that man is cursed. You see, I want to ask you, what are you prepared to carry over the water's edge? What are you prepared? What have you gathered in your life today up until now that you are prepared to take over that water's edge into eternity? What are what is in your hand? What did you what did you die to? What did you what did you gain here in this worth in this world that is worth standing before the Lord Jesus Christ one day? Not as this scorning, look what you blew, you blew it. I'm talking about a day as a believer when it's your time and it could be any time. Not all of us are going to make it. Some will, some won't, some will live longer than others. And that's the Lord's business. And, you know, I, I want to put it this way. Every now and then, my husband wants, we were up in Newport Beach where his mother is uh, buried at a graveyard there. It's a beautiful graveyard. It overlooks the ocean. I mean, it's really a spectacular place. I guess if you want to be buried somewhere nice, that's where you want to be buried. Um, and once in a while, you know, we'll walk through it. And of course, you see all the little epithets on the graves. You know, you'll see little, you know, angels' wings, um, scriptures written. You'll see uh, beloved brother, beloved husband, um, or you'll, you won't see anything. Um, you'll see sometimes even stuff that's blasphemous, you know, where somebody's just, I'm like, ooh, you don't even wish you hadn't even seen it. You know, I mean, I like something Charles Spurgeon said one day. He said, consider even a woman who loved flowers now sleeps underneath them. I mean, so we have this life that Jesus has given us, but we don't know what day it will end. And so we want to, I want to just direct your attention to being really ready. You know, when you think about people who are already in heaven, you know, they can die no more. There's, there's going to be, they're not, they're not up there sobbing. They're not up there crying. They're not up there worrying. They're not stressed out. No, they're at rest right now. And, you know, really, I, I was thinking that we have a preference over them in heaven. Now, just hear me out because you see they're done. They're in heaven and I'm happy for them. And those of us who are here, we're like, man, they have it so you know, look at how they're in heaven and they're rejoicing and they deserve it. But we have a preference over them because, see, in heaven, they cannot cheer up the sad. There's no sad people to cheer up. They can't lift up the weary. They can't give a good a word in due season to them that are weary. They cannot help anybody. They can't do anything. They're finished. They finished their work. But you see, our life on here is in the giving. It is in the cheering up the sad people. And to give our life. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And I believe that every day, especially those of us who are older, and we're getting towards the end. And there's people that are way ahead of me. 
and they are so, so getting brighter and brighter. Have you ever seen that saint? Have you ever seen a saint that's in their 80s that have spent all their life in Christ and there's a brightness to them? There's a glory to them, almost in a sense of transfiguration to them. You know why? Because all their life they've been looking to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And as they get closer and closer unto the perfect day, they're getting brighter and brighter because they're on the path of the just. And they know that they're going home. See, when you know you're going home, your entire life changes around you. Look at people, people that are not uh, believers. I mean, even anybody. I mean, every now and then I'll read stories of some um, very important person, a, a movie star, a very wealthy, high wealthy person in the world, and they've been given a death sentence of cancer, some terminal illness. You know what? They already know they're not part of this world. They've been singled out. You, sir, on the left and you, ma'am, on the right. They're singled out of this world when they're told you have only probably at best three months to live, maybe six months. And so everything comes rushing to them. What really matters? What they did? And if they don't know God, if they know nothing about Jesus Christ and, and they have shunned the Lord, yes, the door is still open to them. God is ever merciful. But what I mean is, what do they have to carry over this water's edge into the other side? What is their life? Where was their treasure? Because I'll tell you something right now. Many of you live just like I live. I live just like you do. We're not rich. We barely make ends meet. But I'll tell you something right now. That all my life, I can say I've seen Jesus Christ taking care of everything. And is that not his way of preparing us? Not just that he's giving us, oh, look, we made our light payment this month. Oh, look, we were able to this or have that or be able or we've been healed. It's not just, you know, like prisoners who make little marks on the wall and they cross it. And you know how many days that they're in prison. No, that's building up for you a wonderful exit from this world. You know, it says that the name, it says the, the name of the righteous shall be had in everlasting remembrance, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Look at Judas's name. Whenever, when you think of a person who died in infamy, you, you shudder to think Judas went to his own place. And when you think of that man, that rich man, who fared, who was dressed in white purple and linen and fared sumptuously every day. And he neglected, he neglected one man. He didn't, he wasn't being required. Look, there's about 50 people out there. They were wondering if you could feed them. No, there was one man who sat at his gate every single day, one man. And all he wanted was a couple of crumbs, some food, and he had to watch that rich man go in and out of his beautiful gate in the most gorgeous robes, attired like a king. And the day came as a starving, diseased, homeless, desperate man, a humble man. He died and was carried into Abraham's bosom. And a day came where that rich man died. And when he was buried in hell, Hades, because hell is empty right now. That's the second death. Hades is the intermediary compartment of the wicked dead that will be emptied out at the great white throne judgment. And that man is still there. I believe, I believe that was a true story. Theologians back that up. And Jesus was talking about a real person. And in hell, he lift up his eyes and he sees Lazarus. In Abraham's bosom, a very far off, there's a great chasm between them. You know the story. And he says, Father Abraham. He calls him Father Abraham. He said, send Lazarus to, to stick his finger in water and put a drop of it on my tongue. I'm in torment in these flames, in this place. 
And he said, no, because during your lifetime, you did good and he did bad, badly. Now he's comforted with me and now you're tormented. And he said, well, send him then to my five brethren. And he said, no, because if they don't, cannot listen to what Moses said, and this is, of course, during those days, he they, therefore, they're not going to listen, even though one co comes from the dead. I'll tell you, you guys, there is such a shock. There is such a shock. It says in Psalm 73, King David was talking about um how he watched the rich and if you, you know this is this is not an attack against the rich let me be very clear it's very hard for rich people to enter into heaven i understand why and maybe that's why the lord kept me from ever having mountains of cash knowing that there was probably something in me that would have diverted and went to hell now it doesn't say rich people will never go it just says it's harder for them to go because they're owned by everything like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he had much riches but i'll tell you something when it comes when it comes down to it there are no believers in heaven and there are no there are no unbelievers in heaven and there are no unbelievers in hell there are only unbelievers on earth because i'll tell you this and this is what i believe that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it says, for we see through, for we prophesy in part, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, and we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see one day face to face, meaning in the other world. And then shall we know all things as we are fully known. You see, I believe that when a person leaves their body, their soul, which is eternal, because everybody has eternal life, it just depends on what direction. And so that eternal soul that is, has rejected Christ, that has rejected the free gift of eternal life, the free gift, they do it to their own self. Just like God, just like Jesus said, he said, depart from me, cursed into, you know, into the lake of fire, right? Where I believe he says lake of fire, um, I can look at that right now. It's right here. Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And you know, truly, the only requirement was the same thing as that rich man that he had. Did you feed that poor man? You showed him no mercy. You showed him nothing. And now you have nothing. And in this... In this judgment, this throne of glory judgment, it's all based on when I was sick, when I was in prison, when I was hungry, when I was naked, where were you? Just like the woman who walked in to Mary, she went in with an alabaster box to prepare, to pour it on Jesus. And anything you pour out, you're really pouring out from your own soul. You know, David, when the men, this is a little off the track, but when he was thirsty, there was three men that plunged the troops of the Philistines to go get some water from the well of Bethlehem. And when they came out, David poured it out on the Lord, poured it out on the ground as an offering unto the Lord, because he was like, why should I drink this water when these men hazarded their life? There has to be such a realization. Something has to happen. Something has to happen. I'm going to say this, whether it means something or not. But I was thinking about Paul the Apostle when I was reading about in Galatians, when God said, when he said, Paul, when he said, let me just go over there really quick. He said, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. And he said, but and he, and he talks about how he never received it from man. He was neither taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know that ha there was a day, something happened one day to him. One day. It was any other day. He was on his horse going to go do something that he normally does, which was evil. But that was his job. It's what he wanted to do it was his profession. And Jesus met him in the way. And he saw the Lord in his glory. And it changed his life forever. And because it changed his life forever, it changed millions and billions of people's lives forever.
my life has changed forever because God appeared, Jesus in his glory appeared to Saul of Tarsus, a murderer, a consenter to murder, a wicked man, a man causing chaos. But you see, a day happened that changed his life and that he didn't live anymore for himself. He said he was overtly wanting to take care of the poor. See, because his life changed my life because God changed his. And there's something that has to happen in your life that changes you forever. And not that you need another, I got to go, you know, you know, this postmodern saying, yeah, I need to grab a sermon. Yeah, I need to grab a sermon. It's like, you don't understand. You've got it all wrong. Grabbing a sermon doesn't change you. It's that you've had a revelation of Jesus Christ. A day has to happen in your life where God burns off the scales from your eyes and you see God in the, in the eyes of your spirit, the eyes of your understanding becoming enlightened. And all of a sudden, the landscape of this world doesn't look like it did ever again. And because of that, your life, because that moment happened to you, whether you live around people that are evil, that are wicked, that mock you and laugh you at laugh at you, you are still changing their life. You know, the other day, I want to share this with you because this is really important. There was something that I was just really struggling in prayer about. You know, we all have things, right? But there was one thing in particular that I've been going over and over and over and over again in prayer. And one morning I got up and I said, I'm going to pray about it. And before I even spoke a word, my mind, you know how your mind starts to think about things you want to talk about the Lord, like getting the wood in order for the sacrifice before you place the sacrifice on it. But I was getting the wood in order, so to speak, and the thoughts of my mind are the wood in order. And right then I heard the Lord say to me very clearly, because I was about ready to say, Lord, I want to bring this before you again. I want to say this to you, Lord. This is what I need, Lord. I pray this happens. But before I got even a word out, he answered me. I clearly, and I stand by this, and I will stand by it until the day I stand before him. I heard him in my heart say to me, let my good and perfect will be done. Because when my good and perfect will be done, it is far better than anything you could ever ask me. Because when you are walking in my will and you let my good and perfect will be done, I am all encompassing in that will. The very things you think you're giving to me, I'm already blown. Not that he said he blew it out of the water, but in my own way, he was saying to me that when you, my will is done, when you back down and you back away and you let my will come forth in the whole circumstance, in every detail of it, He said, when you're walking in that will of mine, he said, you've entered into my rest. He said, and then in that, the will of God is going out from your life, Joni, into the lives of the whole world. And he made me see it, that the will of God has to do with my will. See, because somehow or another, I feel like, and we all do this, I don't care, I'll put myself on front street. I'm like, Lord, of course, we're told to, you know, David even says, um, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge unto us. There's all these different things about pouring out our hearts to him. Now, he wants you to pour your heart out to him. You've got to let it all hang out. You have to tell him how you feel. And then at some point, there's a part of us that kind of takes a step back and we make the will of God. Um, Nevertheless, not your will, but my, not my will, but thine instead. And, you know, the Lord made me see, no, God, I want your will because he showed me that everything in his will is good for you. And that those people, even people that mock you and laugh you, and I'm going to take this into an eternal thing, that one day is going to come a serious moment in their life that where they're going to face eternity or an eternity. There won't be any mocking then. There won't be any laughing then. There won't be any fingers pointing then because who may stand in his sight when once thou art angry, David said, and I don't wish that on them. 
you know, I want to share one thing with you. Listen to what the Roman ambassadors did with it, uh, with Antiochus. They met him and asked him whether he intended war or peace. And he said he hadn't decided yet. And one of them taking his staff made a circle around him where he stood and said, you must answer before you leave this spot. If you step out of that circle, then it's war. And, you know, I thought to myself, maybe we need to see that there's a circle around us, each one of us individually. And we need to, we need to answer, are you for peace or are you for war? Are you for Christ or are you for this world? Are you for sin or are you for salvation? Are you for serving Christ or serving the spirit of this world? Are you for doing good or doing evil? Are you for giving bread to the eater and see, you know, uh, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? Or are you going to walk by the hungry and the thirsty? I'm not saying you have all of a sudden got to start a homeless ministry. That's not what I'm saying. And besides, don't do anything if your heart's not in it because it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's not going to do anything. Oh, you may feed a person. But don't do anything that you're thinking you're doing in the name of the Lord if you know that you have not been moved in your heart to go do it. Because I'll tell you something, the will is the, is the king. Will is king. And that's where your heart is. When it talks about the will of man or it says the heart of man, the writers of the Old Testament as well as the new truly mean the will of man, your heart. So draw that circle around yourself. Because one day, if you are for peace and you step out of that, then you're going to go into the kingdom of God. You know, Charles Spurgeon, I love when he said, in, when he, I, I was reading a sermon, this was long ago, and he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, in seeing his going free, I see my own discharge. But I think, you know what? I want to see my own discharge, but not as I got there, barely. And I pray also for you that you will now think about what do you want to carry over? What do you want to appear with on that day? The day you will see Jesus face to face, just like you're looking at my face. You're going to see his, a real person. You know, I want to share one last story with you, and then I'm going to go. I remember many years ago, I read the story submitted by a woman. I'm telling you, it must have been 25 years ago. You know, and I was talking to my husband about it this morning. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man's peace. And I was telling my husband, look, as long as you're doing the right thing, it doesn't matter what you are in life. Is are you going the way of the Lord? Are you choosing the more excellent way? Are you choosing the way of righteousness? Are you choosing the paths that Christ has gone before us and put us in? So the story goes like this. The woman said, um, her, I take it she was an older woman. Her and her friend were taking a walk in a local park and for exercise. And they saw a man that they, uh, a very old man sitting on a bench. And he was, she said he didn't look like a normal homeless person. There was something different about this man. There was something in his face and his eyes, something about his presence that was different. And she said the next day they walked by, the next day they walked by, and he was always sitting there alone. After five days, she said her heart began to move and began to be stirred. And she went to that man one day. She said to her friend, hold on a minute, I want to talk to that man. And she went to that man. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something to this effect. She said, you know, I've been seeing you sitting here every day. What's your story? What's going on with you? You know, a man your age, why are you here? And he began to tell a story about how back in his day, and this was like 25, 30 years ago, I read this story. Truly, it really was that long ago. And he talked a story about, you know, being old that day. You can imagine where he was in his youth back in the 40s. 
And he was talking about how he was married and he was married forever to a woman and he had children and he was a hard worker and all these different things. And, and then a, a point came where his wife came down with cancer and then all the money that they ever saved, um, that their insurance ran out, then they had to blow through their savings, their retirement to try to save her life. But a day came that she died. And then he had some children and he spoke no evil of his children. She said, do you have any children? And he said, yes. And he said something to the effect of they're not reliable. They're not people that want me. Like, basically, I think I understand that they rejected their dad and worldly, awful people. And he said, I tried to hang on to my home, but I had no money. I had nowhere to go until one day I had to leave my home and here I am. And, but she said that he was godly because he spoke about in and out how he weaved through a story about how him and his wife were Christians, how they always believed in Jesus, that they, they were believers, not just, I don't like to just say Christians because nowadays anybody calls themselves Christians, but they were true believers. They, they, they read their word together. They, they prayed together. They believed together. They taught their children together. They walked into the house of God and company together. But a day came, he said that they were there, but he said, but I will not speak evil of him. I still believe that no matter what, he said, I'm never going to ever speak evil of the Lord. I'm going to always believe in him. Well, this was toward the end of fall and where this woman was living, there was going to be snow very soon. And she said, it started to get very, very cold. And she said her and her friend continued to walk. And she said, she noticed that for about two weeks, because it started like the winter came on fast. And she said, we didn't see this man. And by the way, she asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Claude. And so she said, we didn't see Claude for two weeks. And she said, it did start snowing and it was snowing a lot, but we'd still go for a walk and we didn't see him. And she said for, for those two weeks, because I was just always thinking about this man about, is he okay? Where is he? Oh my gosh, he's freezing. And she said, after two weeks, um, and she was praying about it. Lord, where is he? I pray he's okay. She was praying for him. And so one day after two weeks, she sees him again walking. She's walking with her friend. He's sitting on the seat. He's got a big blanket on him. But it was way later in the day because she went back after her walk. She goes, I want to see if he's there. One day he was there. And she said, Claude, where have you been? He said, well, I'm sorry. He said, it's been snowing and I'm so cold. And he was indicating in the first meeting that he lived in the bushes behind the bench and that he had made a little covering for himself. And he said, well, I stay bundled up a whole lot longer because it's so cold. And it's the only way I can stay warm until the sun comes out. And so she, you know, she had went home. She came back. She brought food for him. But that night she couldn't sleep. And she tossed and she turned. And from her heart, she couldn't sleep. From her heart, it was pulsating with the love of God with the power from another country, from another place, from heaven, from the very heart of God in her heart, it was pumping. Where is Claude? Oh God. And she said, Jesus. And she just prayed to him. She said, if you want me to bring Claude home to our house, she goes, I'll do whatever you say, but it has to be okay with my husband. And she prayed for her husband that if it's his, the Lord's will, it would be okay with her husband. So that morning she went because she had told her husband all about Claude from the beginning. And, um, and so I think this went on for like about probably, I want to say maybe almost two months that she'd been like seeing him and going back and forth and telling her husband about everything. And so she told her husband about what had happened to her that night and how she tossed and she turned and, and that it's just her heart was pumping for love for him and to do this thing. And that how, and she said, can we pray? And she, because her thing was like, if my husband says yes, I'll know it's from him. And so after pr the prayer, her husband said, um, I think we should bring him home. She couldn't believe it. So she went back out. She saw Claude and like a very real gentleman, you know, she said, look, my husband and I prayed. We've been seeking the Lord. We want to bring you home. And I think he wasn't like, yeah, okay, I'll go home with you. But he was like, well, you know, this kind of thing. But um, he agreed because she was like, look, you're getting old. We have this extra little mother-in-law's house. You can live there. And so they brought him home and they made a little 
nest for him in that place. And she said that all of a sudden she came alive and her children came around and he became like a grandfather to them. And um, that the children just love to sit around the little grandchildren love to sit around him, that he wasn't just living in that little mother-in-law's house. They were bringing him into the house. And for two years he lived with them and he, they had Thanksgivings, they had holidays, birthdays. Um, <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. And a day came where um, he didn't come in the house one morning. And she's like, have you seen Claude? Usually because he gets up and comes in the house. They went out and they saw that he wasn't doing so good. They took him to the doctor. And so it, the uh, evidence was that he was getting ready to pass away. They took him home. And for that week, he lay in that warm bed, surrounded by love, surrounded by people praying, surrounded by worship surrounded by hugs and kissing his cheek and the reading of the word. And before he died, I believe he said something to the effect. I knew the Lord would help me. Something like that, like he gave it up to the Lord. And I want to say that to you because you see, the end of the righteous is blessed. There's an expected end like Claude's. And you might be having a terrible time in your life right now. But what God did for Claude, God will do for you. You can be certain of it. You can be certain of it. Or God will no longer have the right to call himself the God of mercy. Or the God of all comfort. So remember. That God God knows when it's time for you to go. Maybe when you're older, who knows when. But take your eyes off this world and begin to start living for the other one. And when you start doing that, you will fulfill, God will fulfill all your days, just like he told uh, Moses. He said, I will fulfill all of your days. And as he did that for him, God will do that for you. And he will do that for me. You know why? Because he loves us. And it is his determination, like I said the other day, to see you through, to forgive you. It's his determination to love you. It's his determination to walk with you. It's his determination to stick with you. And he will be as present with you as your own soul is with you on that day and for all eternity world without end when the end of this world becomes our end we will go into a world without end you can rely on it 